0: This was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to
1: never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. Hey guys, this is John Warlow. This episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by the Value Builder Score. If you haven't got your score yet, I'd encourage you to take 13 minutes and complete the questionnaire you'll find at valuebuilder.com. It'll give you your score on the eight key drivers of company value. You're going to learn some different things about what drives the value of your business. You'll be able to see how you performed on these eight unique factors. Go to valuebuilder.com. Have you ever had an employment contract? My guess is you probably haven't. You're an entrepreneur, right? And... (laughs) But what entrepreneur has an employment contract? Well, when you think about it, when a company goes to buy your business, um, you are likely going to have to sign an employment contract to go and work for your buyer for a period of time. And what goes into that employment contract can have a material impact on the overall sort of value you get from your business. Um, the length of the employment contract, the, um, the options that the, your new employer have for firing you or laying you off, you know, the amount of money they have to pay you in the event that they want to do that at some point in the future. All these things will have you know, big impacts for you downstream. And the employment contract is something that often doesn't get negotiated until the very end, the very last day or two before the actual deal goes through. But really trying to spend some time on it before that uh, I think is a good idea because as Eric sits going to tell you, um, he sold CyberWave to Detection Technologies, and he had an employment contract he was happy with, with Detection. But when Detection got bought, the employment contract changed. And here to tell you the rest of the story, here's Eric Sitt. Eric Sitt, welcome to Built to Cell Radio. Hi, John. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Tell me a little bit about CyberWave. How did you get into this business? What did you guys do?
0: Uh, so CyberWave was created in 1995. I started the company at that point as an internet service provider. And uh, since then, I, st- I sold the, uh, that portion of the business in 1997. And then I then f- therefore focused on the software portion of the internet technologies, so, so web-based applications, et cetera. And then I, uh, I've expanded since then and started an offshore development firm in China, and in uh, 2013, I didn't basically merged with a large customer of ours. And then about a year after that, we then had a second liquidity event, which sold to a private equity firm.
1: Got it. So you've, you've gone through this on a couple of different levels. So I want to focus in on that, the, 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 the sale of your company to, I think it was Detection Technologies. That, that was the, uh, the company in 2013 that bought you guys? Correct. What, what business were you? I know you started way back in '95 as an internet service provider. But what business were you in um, in 2013?
0: Uh, we were mainly focused on internet-based software application consulting. So we were a custom software development firm, and Detection was one of our large clients. Got it. And what did
1: Detection do?
0: Detection is a uh, software-based company where they would uh, Detect uh, gas well uh, s- situation. So, for example, they would look at the compressors and see how the compressors uh, working, and then therefore try to optimize and to try to minimize maintenance on these compressors to maximize the the value of that particular well.
1: So, detection works in the oil and gas industry, uh, providing software to basically help optimize uh, the various the guts of a, an oil production company, so the the wells and so forth. That's correct. Got it. Okay. And so you were a custom shop, so you were, you know, hired guns. So you could hire you guys and help you build out your 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 software. And detection had hired you. How long had you been a customer, a supplier to Detection?
0: Uh, more or less since uh, 1999.
1: Oh, wow. So what proportion of your revenue was coming from Detection uh, in the, you know, 2013? Uh I'd say about 70%. Wow, so they were a big customer. Correct. How did it come about that that they acquired you? I mean, did 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 you did they raise it? Did you raise it? What was the how did that come about?
0: Um, no, it was a it was a casual conv- conversation that we had and the the the, the partner then Approached me and talked about uh, you know what what are my thoughts in terms of uh,
1: selling and yeah but that just doesn't well, come yeah. up in everyday conversation like hey no. <laughs> like how did it sort <laughs> of like get to get to like hey we should buy you guys because you know like they're a they're a proprietary software company like they've got a thing they're selling it's kind of mm-hmm. weird in a way to buy a custom shop which is the totally different business model
0: right right and I think one of the main keys is that well I uh, he was. Approaching me is the benefit of being in-house in terms of okay, well, we're you know not in the same office, so I think he's talking about coming into the same office so we can understand the business even more, and then having it fully in-house. And that's really the the driving force, the driving motivation for them to say, you know, I think it's important for us to bring everything in-house so that we're not outsourcing per se for this particular piece, especially when this piece is so important to them.
1: And I guess you didn't have much leverage in the deal because it's with 70% of your revenue coming from detection, you know, they knew that if they pulled their business, I'm assuming that would be a huge problem for you. Correct. Correct. And how did that sort of imbalance of leverage sort of play itself out in the negotiations?
0: Well, I think part of it is the, uh, you know, at the, end, at the end of that particular transaction, it was a, a, a shared share deal like so the currency that we got in terms of the uh, uh the transaction was shares in their company so i think one of the things that we we looked at was you know when we get shares we have to evaluate both sides and that's really where where the uh, the leverage that they had is that they were able to you know evaluate themselves and evaluate us in in, in, in a way that makes it difficult for us to negotiate because they can basically be at at the point of saying that, okay, we're worth X and you're worth Y. And if you can agree on that, then we can make a deal.
1: Got it. And so, um, before I get into that valuation, I mean, did you look at potentially other, other ideas? Did, did you consider whether there was maybe another party that you could sell to or, or was it sort of very clear that detection was the only potential buyer?
0: At that point, uh, it was, uh, It was fairly clear. I mean, I we we definitely looked into alternatives in that sense. Uh, However, the um, you know having having them as our primary customer, it was definitely difficult for us to make any kind of alternative routes at that point.
1: Yeah. So okay. So this huge customer of yours, how big, by the way, at this time was was Cyberwave? So in terms of your number of employees or whatever, what how, how many employees did you have?
0: Yeah. At that point, we had eight employees. Plus the uh, outsource company, which uh, in, you know, in all in all, is about sixteen people.
1: Got it. And then, how big was Detection?
0: Uh, detection was about thirty-five people at the time. Okay, so not
1: not you know, it wasn't three thousand people. It was still a, a relatively entrepreneurial company uh, yes. themselves. And so, obviously, Detection was not publicly traded. Uh, so, how did how did they give you comfort? about what they were worth? Because clearly if you're accepting their shares, you've mm-hmm. got to somehow have some way of validating that what they say their shares are worth is 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 in fact real. What what did you do to sort of validate that?
0: Well, there was a couple of pieces. One is that uh, Detection hired a um, uh, advisory firm to help them draw up a plan in terms of, you know, going through and evaluating the company and then showing why they're evaluated as such. And then the second thing is that, um, you know, them talking about a potential of uh, future liquidity event. And, and that's kind of what intrigued my interest was that, oh, OK, well, I think they're trying to grow and become bigger than they are currently. And that's really the, the key is just the growth potential of the future.
1: The advisory firm, was that a, a mergers and acquisitions, like a sell side mergers and acquisition firm? Or was it like an audit firm, like a, like a KPMG or a you know, third party accounting firm?
0: No, it was a, it was a an M&A firm specialized in, uh, sell side, uh, negotiations.
1: Got it. So they had, had developed some sort of view as to their valuation, um, which, which you accepted as one data point into your valuation of their company. Correct. Now, flip side obviously is, is figuring out how much, how many shares of their company you get for merging in. You, you got to some, somehow Put a number on your company. How how did you view the value of your company? Like, what were you, what metrics were you using to figure out what, what, what your company was worth? Um, How many shares you should get?
0: Right. So it was it was still based on the dollar value at the end of the day. So you know, uh, you know their their company is worth X and ours is worth Y, and and I just have to basically figure out what what my company was worth. And, and uh, a lot of it is due, due to the history of, uh, of what we've done, the, uh, the amount of uh, people that we, were involved in our company to, you know, that understand and be involved in the business and understanding the, uh, the business as well as the technology. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's not a, it's not a, a young technology, uh, you know, 1999, it's, it's quite a while, quite a long time ago and, and it's evolved a lot. And we've been a lot of that in terms of the evolution of the software.
1: Right, but to be clear, you were selling in 2013. This merger was in 2013, right? Correct, yeah. So, but, but still you would have had to come up with some, some estimate of what you guys were worth. And I'm wondering, like, were you using, were you looking at, at third-party databases and saying, okay, you know, custom software development shops are trading at whatever, one times revenue. Did you have mm-hmm. any of those sort of rules of thumb or benchmarks you were working off of?
0: Uh, definitely we looked into that as in, in terms of the, the EBITDA and and look at what they were at the end of the day, they were really offering a, a specific amount. And, and, you know, I, I was able to drive up the, you know, the, the multiples by saying about the, you know, the age and the, and how integrated we are with their business. And so that was really the, the key point is, you know, the relationship was, was quite deeply involved.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just trying to get a sense of, again, it's, it's sort of like two-way diligence, right? So you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're doing a diligence on them, trying to figure out what they're worth. Likewise, they're, cause no, no cash is changing hands. So the currency you're accepting is, yeah. is their stock and the amount of their stock you get is, is dependent on what you think is two factors, obviously what, what you think they're worth and likewise what they think you're worth. And I'm Correct. trying to figure out, what, without any sort of, uh, you know, you, you didn't have a valuation done in your case, like you didn't hire a firm to, to value no your custom development shop. So then how do you kind of go about figuring out what you're worth?
0: Um, uh, uh, <laughs> at that point it was a, it was really a, what what the the other client or my client was offering, and then based on that we just negotiated, and uh, there there was really no real you know specifics in terms of how we figured it out, but it was you know we looked at their their valuation uh, and what they were offering us in terms of our valuation, and 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 went about it that way. It was it was a very non-scientific method at that point.
1: And so did they put a number on a piece of paper for you? So saying- Yes, absolutely. So we're gonna buy yeah. your business for whatever, X yes. million dollars. And and then on the back end, they they revealed that we're not actually gonna give you X million dollars in cash, it's gonna be X million dollars in shares in, in detection. Um, so did they sort of make it look like in the letter of intent that it was, that it was going to be cash and then sort of. No, no,
0: it was pretty clear. It was all in a letter of intent. Okay. Like both, both valuations were in the LOI.
1: Got it. Got it. Mm-hmm. So they said, look, we're worth X, you're worth Y, therefore you're going to get X number of shares in the new company. Exactly. Got it. Okay. So that makes sense. And so how did you feel about accepting shares for your business? So like emotionally, was it,
0: I would say uh, there's definitely a certain amount of risk involved in that and there was a, uh, a certain amount of fear in terms of okay well I'm I'm getting shares of another private company which I have no longer have you know majority control of so therefore the the value of that is completely in somebody else's hand so that's definitely some put some fear into my in into myself however you know like to alleviate that is Really the growth potential of this company um, was huge. like there was a lot of growth potential and uh, you know presented in a way that it was like you know we can be quite a global presence in this field. and so therefore it was a, it was an exciting and fearful piece in, in that sense. And also the other part is just understanding that there are thoughts in a near future liquidity event. And then that's really a, a, another piece that was like, okay, within a few years, there's going to be another liquidity event. So therefore, I was quite excited about that. And that particular liquidity event could then potentially be even greater than than it was when I merged with this company.
1: The valuation that that correct that would be like if detection were were to go on to sell, they might sell at a valuation even higher than than what they had they had said correct. they were worth. Got exactly. It. And so, who's at this point who who are you hearing this from? This is the CEO founder of, of detection? Yeah, correct. Got it. And so he's telling you uh, hey Eric, like we're going to you know, we're going to sell this puppy in the next 12 24 months and and it could be worth a lot more than what I'm, you know, what what we think it's worth today. Right got it and did you get any assurances from him like is it was it just his word that he was planning to sell it or was was there any way you could get sort of legal assurances that there would be some sort of liquidity for your shares to in you know in the future
0: uh definitely nothing legal uh, in that sense uh, but you know i've I've known uh, the CEO of, uh since high school so it was a it was a very deep relationship with him so that I was able to really go by that. And, and his excitement about what he was talking about was really, has really shown through.
1: Got it. So he was, he was bullish. You trusted him. And you said, okay, I'll, I'll do this deal. Even though you were becoming a minority shareholder in a company that you didn't control. Did you Correct. Did you have a board seat or any sort of influence over, over detections, decision-making, any sort of veto Power over their ability to, you know, in a, in a liquidity event, any any of those provisions in your deal?
0: Um, no, not really. It was it was pretty much in in their hands at that point. I really trusted what they were doing, and I was I bought into what they were doing for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, got it. So then you go ahead and and make this deal happen. Um, take us through the next chapter because detection. The buyer went on to true to his word, did sell the company. In a, right, in right. A, yeah, so tell me
0: about that. Which piece. was exciting for sure. I mean, yeah. it was uh, all within the same same calendar year. It was great. Uh, so basically what then happened was, uh, the, you know, uh, once the merge happened, um, we were working through a uh, the sale process of a, to, the nether, to the third-party company, uh, which ended up being a uh, private equity firm at the time. There was actually a few companies that um, they were, shopping with so basically we were looking at a few deals and we ended up choosing this particular deal and uh went through with it and i think one of the one of the biggest pieces is the uh the fact that i think you know timing was also everything but you know the, the valuation wasn't necessarily what i was expecting during the end sale and i'm sure that was the same with my partner as well i think he was bullish and so was i but you know we ended up getting uh, a different valuation,
1: a lower valuation, correct. Got it. So, how much lower? And we don't have to get into specifics, but I mean, was it was it materially lower than you thought uh, detection was worth? Yeah, it,
0: I guess it was about seventy uh, percent of what uh, the original valuation was. Uh, Thereabouts. And, so,
1: mm-hmm. and so, what happened? Why? Why do you think? I mean, was was your was the detection CEO uh, fraudulent in the way that he thought the company was worth it? Was he naive? Did the market change? Like what happened that it wasn't worth what they thought it would be?
0: No, I mean, certainly not, not to anybody's fault, but it was a market definitely has changed. I mean, 2013, uh, moving on to 14, uh, Oil yeah, terrible. absolutely. Right. Like it was, it was definitely a, an oil and gas a nightmare. And not, to say the least. So, it, it definitely has changed in the market, and then the uh, the way that uh, the clients were reacting, and it, it, it really has has changed quite a bit. Uh, so, I mean, like you know, like there there's, there certainly wasn't anybody's fault that uh, this was what this happened, but you know, it was a. Uh, it, it, at the end of the day, it was still. Um, a reasonable deal for me, so I wasn't necessarily uh, upset or anything about it. And part of the, part of the greatest part is that there was actually some liquid, you know, in in what I what I got out of it. So I ended up getting uh, shares and cash of the new deal.
1: Right. So talk about that. So 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 you sell CyberWave to Detection, you just get shares. Detection mm-hmm. sells part of itself or sells itself to a private equity company. Um, that deal was. It, part in in like you got some some liquidity right some actual cash, yeah, maybe walk mm-hmm. through it, what through the currency you got in the in the second half of the deal
0: well uh basically, I was able to get uh, about uh forty percent of my shares in in cash at the end of the in, end of the deal, and so that that gave me some liquid in in terms of my assets and uh I think one of the pieces was there was, it wasn't necessarily, I got all of the cash from the buyer, but I also got some cash from uh, other shareholders who wanted to buy more shares, et cetera, et cetera. So it was, it was quite interesting in terms of the dynamics of this deal because it wasn't necessarily one buyer buying everything, but it was one buyer coming in. And then there was other shareholders who wanted more or less. And then we basically juggled the the amount of shares versus cash amongst ourselves and figure out, okay, so I got some cash and they got some more shares and et cetera.
1: And how does that work? I mean, I've never been involved in something like this where you know you're you're a minority shareholder in a deal. So I mean, are you are you basically told well, look, Eric, we're going to give you X amount of cash, but we want the shares in return. Is there a negotiation where you're like, no, I want to keep my shares or I want to get put my shares? Like, Do, do you have any control or are you basically just being told what's happening?
0: Uh, I think it was presented in, in in a way that it was, okay, this is what is happening. And then you know, I think all the, because it was other shareholders involved, there was other minor, share, minor shareholders involved in this deal as well. And therefore we were pretty good in terms of negotiation so we 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 did have a quite a bit of say and say okay well i want so much cash and and let's see if we can work this out and then other shareholders were saying oh you know i want more shares so it it actually turned out quite well you know for everybody at the end
1: and as a minority shareholder group uh, i'm assuming the the former ceo of detection or the or the founder of detection owned the did did he own a controlling share of the voting shares of of detection
0: yes absolutely
1: so so he he had the ability to control it but as a minority shareholder group did you have any sort of abilities to block it or did he did he have to get you on side to accept or could he basically steamroll you guys
0: i think it was uh I, i think he probably could have steamrolled us if if you know if push came to shove but uh you know he was a very reasonable negotiator and it was uh you know, at the end of the day, we, we, we all trusted him and it was, that's how the deal went through. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And is he telling you along the way, like the process of selling detection in 2013 must've taken him, you know, months, if not years, certainly many months to go through all of the machinations of the sale, looking at different offers, negotiating back and forth. I mean, are, uh, is he keeping you abreast of the offers and that, Hey, it may not, be exactly as much as we thought it was going to be, or, or how did he kind of lay that on you that, um, oh, Hey, it's, it, it's not actually what we thought it was going to be. Was that just one meeting or is he kind of bringing you along the way? No, it was pretty
0: much along the way. I mean, there was, there was literally hundreds of spreadsheets kind of throughout the process. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a surprise. It was, you know, this is what it is. This is what they're offering. This is what, you know, this is what's coming through, uh, uh, you know, all of the shareholders were very involved with the whole process in terms of, the, you know, e- even just talking to each of the individual buyers, um, seeing their valuation. You know, going through the process of figuring out, okay, what's the growth potential for each one. Uh, so yeah, you know, we were all super involved. It wasn't necessarily one driver, but you know, we were all very highly valued advisors at that point Got it. throughout the process.
1: So Eric, here's, here's a question for you. So 2013, you've got your you you own a company where uh, this one potentially growing successful company detection is is worth 70% of your business or generating 70% of your revenue. You're the 100% shareholder of this company. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, 2016, um, you've got some cash in your jeans from the liquidity event of of the private equity company. And you're you're still a shareholder uh, although a somewhat smaller shareholder of detection the the new company or the mm-hmm. new version of detection um, if you could rewind the clock uh, to go back to 2013 when you were the hundred percent shareholder of cyberwave, would you do it
0: yes, absolutely would have done it uh, there's certain certainly pieces that I would have Changed along the way, uh, but I definitely would have done it.
1: So, okay. So that was, so so you would do the deal again if you had it to do over again. Correct. So what are the pieces you might change? Well,
0: basically uh, there was some, by getting shares of a private company, there was some tax implications in terms of the, the types of shares that we got. And so one of the things that I didn't pay attention a lot to was, just even you know, just a share class of what we got, in terms of, you know, it was very beneficial to the buyer, but what wasn't necessarily beneficial to us, and not to their fault, it's just the way that the corporate structure was. And therefore, I think a a, a tax lawyer going through that in fine tooth comb would have caught that early on instead of after the fact. So I was, saying- I was, yeah, you know, part of the problem was I was adamant to get the shade share class. Whereas you really want wanted the same
1: more... share class, yeah, as the detection right. guy, and and why were you so adamant about that?
0: It, it, it's just the it's just the way that I felt the would be the most fair.
1: You didn't that, want I him guess. declaring class A share dividends without, <laughs> class yeah, B or, yeah, or you know making unilateral changes for one class of shares and not the not not correct the correct thing happened the other
0: right. But in hindsight, it could have been. It, things could have been done with different share classes that would have protected me and also benefited me tax
1: wise. And I don't get that piece. Now I'm not a tax lawyer goes way beyond my pay grade. So like why would having a different class of shares be more beneficial for you from a tax planning perspective?
0: Yeah. So basically what happened is because it's a uh, private shares and on the next exit event. So when you, when that company uh, ultimately sold to the private equity firm, the way that that share was had gotten the cash and gotten the, the new shares of the company. Uh, and And to be honest, I, I don't know the details of of why that is, but because of the way that it was structured, um, I had like we had to do a lot of extra work to make it so that I was not in a huge tax liability. However, uh, it still would have been benefited if I was to change it up front. Now, if I if I had different shares, what happens is then they can, my partner could have done whatever they want with their shares in terms of how they liquidated it, in terms of what kind of shares they got from the new company. Whereas now I'm f- basically forced to take on the same thing that they took. Uh, and I could have chose a different path in terms of getting uh, the shares and, and the way that which company got the shares. It, it, it really is a, convoluted thing. There's many companies involved in this transaction. There was intermediate companies and whatnot. So it, like it's way above what I could really understand as well. But that's where I think huge benefit is to involve a tax lawyer right at the get-go, make sure that everything is good, especially with both situations. And And that's really where I was not clear on is that I was thinking that okay, what benefited him must have, must also benefit me and that's really a huge misconception that I I made
1: because mm, his 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 tax position would have been his tax structure the way he'd structured things would have been obviously different than the way you had and mm-hmm. and therefore you've got to get your own sort of personal advice so yet a, yet another reason to get a tax lawyer involved if you're doing a deal what Correct. else did you learn from the process like if you, if you could rewind the clock back how might you go about doing it differently?
0: Uh, I think what uh, another key piece is the employment part, so in terms of uh you know i w- during merger, I had an employment contract with the with detection technologies, and then uh, during the second liquid event where they were sold to the private equity firm, uh, I ended up getting a different employment contract because what happened is you have to get basically uh, termination of one company and then uh, at the same time, sign a new contract with the new company, and so uh, just pieces in the into- employment contract that I would have definitely looked into. Uh, that would have, g- you know, give me some more, some more assets in terms of the employment contract. You know, things like uh, the term of the contract, the duration of the contract, and especially some uh, exit clauses and 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 how that comes about, and and even just the uh, the you know the tenure of the, of the person of, of the contract. So in, in, in that case, myself.
1: So I guess that means that did, did Element buy, it sounds like they bought the assets of detection rather than the shares. Uh, or maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm <laughs> not. not clear it, on that. It's,
0: it's actually not exactly that that case because it, it, it was a new company that was created. Ah, okay. So then everybody then became shareholders of the new company. So okay. it's, it, yeah, it's a very, it's a very different deal than just, it's not just buying assets or buying a company.
1: Got it. So the lesson there is, Hey, you've got an employment contract with, you had an employment contract with the old detection technologies instead of just blindly signing a new employment contract with the, the new company, you had rights as an employee and you should Correct. have engaged an HR lawyer to say, look, these were my rights under the old contract. I'm now being asked to sign a new contract. Is this fair? That's
0: right. And that's really where I was focused mostly on the, on the, you know, in remuneration of the contract in terms of the the dollar amount. I, I wasn't aware of the the other aspects of the contract which is also very important
1: tenure in particular
0: yeah uh, tenure the uh, the the length of the contract the exit clauses of the contract those are all very important
1: and those i mean you're a smart guy Eric. those seem like pretty you know like essential elements to a employment contract like what was why why did you miss those or or did you gloss like like it doesn't sound like something you'd just miss <laughs>
0: i was just excited at the time like really it was a emotional uh high i was on a high at that point so
1: why why were you high at that point and and i mean how was were you more uh, emotionally excited when the private equity company came in and bought detection or or were you equally high when detection bought your original company what was Uh, the difference i I guess
0: well i would say equally high but then at the same time i you know we were working with the equity company to figure out okay here here's all the potentials of growing the business we were having a lot of meetings um this this transaction happened during a very you know like we were working on the company as well as working in the company at the same time so i think that was that was really the key is like i was so focused on okay let's let's grow this company at that point that i you know everything else was like okay uh go through with the deal. This is, you know, this is what we need to do to, to make, you know, to get the deal to finish. And that's part of why it was uh, not necessarily, I didn't, I didn't get the, I guess the lawyers involved as much as I should have at that point.
1: And did you stay with, like, are you still with the new co now?
0: No, I'm not. No, I, I'm, I uh I started my,
1: another business since then,
0: and I'm no longer with that company
1: and and why not did, was there like did what was it like working for the new kind of the new owners of detection uh there was certainly uh
0: it's certainly interesting to be a um minority shareholder i mean really uh, like I say I started the company in nineteen ninety five I haven't uh had to report to anybody for many many years and and to have to have to come back and and be a I guess, quote unquote employee, it, it was a very different experience and I, I couldn't get used to it really. And at the same time, it was, a, you know, my position was at, you know, as the owner, as the business driver of the, of the company, it, it really became uh, obvious that, you know, it wasn't necessarily a as beneficial to the new company as it was to the previous company
1: how much money did you leave on the table when you when you left or were you fired like what, how did it actually come to an, to a head uh no it,
0: it was a it was pretty clear and then they came to me and said that okay well this is uh, we no longer need your services and it was a, yeah it was a it was very clear to be laid off but you know that's that's the way it turned out. And had
1: uh, had you done a better job of, of guaranteeing this tenure, they would have had to write a bigger check. Yeah. You could say that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The employment uh, contract is one we, we haven't talked a lot about on, on the show, but it's such a, it's such a big part of the compensation that, that you potentially could garner from the sale. So it's a big, it's a big, it's a big nut for sure. Eric, talk about the new company for a second, just briefly. What do you guys do and where can you, you know, where can we find you?
0: Uh, Yeah. So I uh, I actually, I, I, you know, during this whole process, I started a new company called Epic photo ops. Now we know when you were fired,
1: you had two, you were working two, two jobs.
0: (laughs) Yes. I, uh, I can't sit still, but anyways, I, I started a new company called Epic photo ops, basically with my IT background and photography background and, and, you know, my my biggest key strength is the systems, processes, efficiency, IT infrastructure. So basically, what I what we end up doing is starting a photo ops company, and what we do is we provide photo ops services to comic cons around the world. And uh, I, I don't know what a comic
1: con so, is, so tell me, tell me what that. Is.
0: Yeah, so basically, comic con is like a, a fan convention where people come in and they are interested in a specific thing. So you know, whether it's comics or movies or television, sci-fi, you know, basically any fans of that genre would go to these shows. And, and when you, you know, sometimes you you watch TV and people are dressed up in cosplay. Yep. That's all in that same genre. So basically what what happens is the Comic-Cons would then hire celebrities to come in and take photos with, you know, our layman regular people. And our company basically is the provider of that. So we go in and take the photos, we process the photos, we take wow. the tickets and do all the processing
1: and and what's the liquidity option for you in this company like how do you see um, like who would buy it and what how would it be valued that kind of stuff I, mean, I know that you're still running it so it's not necessarily mm-hmm. what you're thinking about but.
0: <laughs> yeah no no absolutely I mean I, I think about this uh, quite a bit in terms of you know my past experiences and how I can structure it so that it's it makes sense and uh, yeah absolutely the uh, you know it could be either a private equity or a uh, uh, a client uh, or, you know, because a lot of our, uh, some of our clients are quite big. They're, you know, some of the largest convention companies in the world. And there's certainly is opportunities for that. Um, there's opportunities for uh, alter- uh, alternative companies that sell, Complementary services, for example, like a tick- ticketing company or a, uh, another company that sells a different service within the Comic-Con, Comic-Con world may want to merge together to create a bigger company that provides more services. And, so there's there's many options
1: for sure. And would you take shares for this company if you got a shared deal? Let's say Ticketmaster wanted to buy you and, mm. and said, look, we're going to give you shares in Ticketmaster as opposed to cash.
0: Uh, I think uh, providing that it's a... It's a public company. I may consider that because <laughs> it's, it's certainly different uh, liquidity options when it's a public company and, and the valuation is already there in the, in the marketplace.
1: Right. Right. As opposed to private. Um, where do people reach you? What's the best way to find you? Are you on LinkedIn or to, do you want to send people to a website? What's the best way to reach yeah, you?
0: Yeah. Uh, epicphotoops.com. Um, that's that's my company. And I, I'm, I am on LinkedIn. Certainly can
1: look me up there. Eric, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thank you very much, John. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warrillow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W.